Welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. Thank you that you are a God who loves us. What an eternal love that gave your son to die for us. Your word declared that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? And so we thank you, Lord, that we don't labor for what we receive. But we release our faith in the finished work of Christ. Bless your word to our hearts tonight and give us clarity of understanding. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I am blessed uh, tonight to be here. This is my last uh, service before I fly home tonight at 11 o'clock. But I'm blessed to be with um, Pastor Samuel at this exciting time in the history of your church. Can you say amen? I'm saying exciting time. Amen. You are believing God for the miraculous. It's exciting. You should be excited about it. Amen. I'm a teacher of the word, so I'm going to let the word speak. These things are not difficult. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you look at the old covenant, you will find that things work differently under the old covenant than under the new covenant. Under the old covenant, you had to fight for victory. Under the new covenant, you fight from victory. Under the old covenant, you had to fight to obtain. Under the new covenant, you receive what Christ has already accomplished. And so what you find is that many of the things we do, we many times do it from the perspective of the old covenant. Because under the old covenant, we labor. Under the law, we work. Under the law, it's hard. You must put in your effort. You must put in your flesh. You must bring your, your stuff to the table. Under grace, it's easy. And so when you look at creation from the beginning, when God created Adam, he created man on the sixth day. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested from all his work. Everyone say all his work. What does all mean? So he gave Adam instructions on the seventh day, which was Adam's first day. But Adam's instructions came out of his rest. In other words, the dominion he spoke over Adam was not a dominion that was out of labor. It was a dominion that came out of rest. So much so that when Adam fell, God says to Adam, you shall now labor by the sweat of your brow. You can only say to someone, you will now labor who hasn't labored before. Which means that before the fall, Adam was supposed to cultivate out of the rest that God gave him to maintain what God gave him. So there was no labor in what he had to receive from God. 
In fact, I don't have time to go into it, but you will find that before the fall, remember, there was no worship. Remember, worship came after the fall. Remember, before the fall, there was no rain. Rain came after the fall in Genesis chapter 6. Why am I saying this? Because Adam did not have to look up before the fall because God came down. So whatever he needed came from underneath the earth and he had God at fellowship with him. So he had sufficiency in what he needed right here. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Ghost came back. So God came down again where we don't have to look up for the answer because the answer dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus comes and Jesus now says in the book of Matthew, He says, He says, where He speaks about um, labor and He says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the first thing Jesus offered us is rest. In fact, the seven days make a lot about the Sabbath, but everything that was symbolic in the old became fullness in the new, where in the old it was symbolic to celebrate one day of Sabbath, but in the new covenant you enter into permanent Sabbath. Because Jesus does not call us to one day, He calls us into Sabbath rest. <laughs> so under the new covenant, I have Sabbath Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I am in permanent rest. Now, this is important to note. Where you fight from is the way you will fight. So notice what happened now. If you look at the old covenant, you will find that in the place where the priest had to make atonement for the sins of the people and where he had to perform his rituals, you can go read the tabernacle. There was no chair in the tabernacle. In other words, there was no place to sit. In other words, there was no place to rest. Because under the old covenant, it was perpetual work and labor. But under the new covenant, the Bible now says Jesus is seated. <laughs> Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And now He says, and you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, you only sit when the work is complete. <laughs> Come on, talk to me now. While you're still standing, you're working. But when you are sitting, the work is complete. Hence, he says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool. How does His enemies become His footstool? When you and I find that place of rest. In fact, the new covenant does not say we must fight the devil. He says we must fight the good fight of faith. In fact, the new covenant says resist. The new covenant says submit to God. 
resist the devil and he will fight. And he will fight. Come on, talk to me. I'm, I'm speaking the scripture. He says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will fight. No, he will flee. So if you are still fighting the devil, then you are not in submission to God. In fact, the church missed this. The church is obsessed with two things. The church is obsessed with sin and the church is obsessed with the devil and both of those two things has been taken care of by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago if you understand your Bible correctly. Let me shock you tonight. God cannot send any sinner to hell because of his sin. The only thing that can take you into a lost eternity is your unbelief. Hence the Bible say in John chapter 16, verse 8, the Bible say, When He, the Spirit of truth, shall come, He will convict the world of sin. And then He tells you what that sin is. He says, of sin because they do not believe in Me. Because for everything else, Jesus paid for it. Why is it that the same sin that is in the world is in the church, but the one in church believe is going to heaven? What qualifies you for heaven? Because you believe in Jesus. The sinner goes, goes to hell because of his unbelief. The believer goes to heaven not because of his lifestyle, but because of his faith. Because if you would go to heaven because of your lifestyle, no one will make it. <laughs> the Bible is not difficult. So you are believing God for something and I'm going to, I'm going to link my faith with you, but I'm going to let the text speak to see what the words say about these things. Are you, are you with me still? So we fight and we work from a place of rest. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible say, since the promise of His rest still stand, let us enter His rest, lest we become like those who receive it first, but did not enter because of unbelief. Everyone say unbelief. Your biggest struggle as a believer is unbelief. If you struggle with sin in your life, the problem is not sin. The problem is unbelief. It's your, it's your lack of believing in what Jesus has already overcome and already conquered. So the Bible is clear about these things. The Bible is clear that the factor is unbelief and that is why belief is so is so is so important that is why the way you enter into the kingdom is through your belief system now maybe i said this before all religions confess their sin but why are they not saved they don't confess jesus so what is the criteria for salvation? The criteria for salvation is not the confession of your sin. The criteria for salvation is your confession of Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10. That if you believe, what you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So your faith in Jesus, it will give you eternal life. 
Hence, you must understand what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. Because if you go to Romans, and I'll read my two scriptures now, that I want to work with you for a moment. But if you go to Romans chapter 5 verse 12, the Bible says, As through one man, sin entered the world, and through sin, death, and death passed unto all men, for all have sinned. The Bible says, from the time of, of Adam to the time of Moses, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. So now the scriptures say that Adam, through Adam's act of disobedience, we were all made sinners. Now the scripture also say that from the time when Adam fell to the time when the law was given to Moses, sin was in the world. But sin cannot be imputed where there is no law. Now he says in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam. Now the scripture is saying, you and I were not physically there when Adam ate the fruit. But you and I were the same way affected, the way Adam was affected, even though we did not eat the fruit, but we were present in the first Adam. Now the scriptures say, who was for him in the likeness of him who was to come, speaking of Jesus. So what the scripture is saying, that when you, when Adam was in the garden and he ate of the fruit, you and I were present in Adam. And through his act of disobedience, all of us were made sinners. So this is the question I have to ask you. What did you have to do to become a sinner? Just be born in the flesh, show up, Adam did you a favor, he left you an inheritance. You did not become a sinner because you smoke a joint in your mother's womb. You became a sinner because through Adam we were all made sinners. Now if you were present in the first Adam in the garden when he made the act of disobedience, you could not have been absent in the last Adam when he hung on the cross whose name is Jesus. And if the first Adam's act of disobedience made you a sinner, then the last Adam's act of obedience made you righteous. So what did you have to do to become righteous? Confess Jesus Christ. Be born again. Show up in the kingdom and you have been made righteous because Jesus gave you an inheritance. So when you come to God from that positional righteousness, you approach Him differently. Because it is no longer about what you do or don't do. It's what He has done and you believing in Him. In fact, in fact, the Pharisees came to Jesus. And they were observing Him in what He was doing. And they said to Him, Jesus, show us the works of the Father that we may do them. Now remember these were legal, legalistic people. These were people who practiced the law of Moses. And so when they asked Jesus, so was the works of the Father, they had a long scroll. They want to inscribe all the works of the Father in order to please God. 
And what does Jesus say to them? Jesus burst their bubble. Jesus say, the works of the Father is to believe in the one who was sent. <laughs> Let me bring my message. I'm going to be short and sweet. Today is Thanksgiving Day. I was preaching first service in the Thanksgiving. So I said to the people, I'm hungry. I'm going to preach five minutes. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I can go for hours. <laughs> I want to read uh, in the book of John. In the book of John, I want to read something. And I want, to, I want to increase your faith and encourage you. And give you uh, two testimonies. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and I'm reading from verse 23 and 24. This is before Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. Now, it is said that a man's last words, you must take very seriously. Because when it's your last words, you don't. You say the things that are the utmost of the utmost importance. And so Jesus now speaks to the disciples and Jesus say, And in that day, you will ask me nothing. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Who is speaking here? Who is speaking here? So Jesus say, And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most surely I say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, the Father will give it to you, that your joy may be complete. So Jesus is saying here, in that day you will ask me nothing. But whatever you ask the Father in my name, the Father will give it to you. So that your joy may be complete. We're reading now also John chapter 14, verse 12 to verse 14. John chapter 14, 12 to verse 14. See what the Bible say. John chapter 14, 12, 12 to 14. This is going to read the two verses for us to see. Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he also do and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Next verse. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Verse 16, chapter, chapter 16 was saying, whatever you ask the father in my name, the father will give it to you. In chapter 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. In 16, he say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, the Father will give it to you that your joy may be complete. In 14, he say, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the, that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So 
So let's work this two verses. In verse 16 he say, In that day you will ask me, Jesus, nothing. What does nothing mean? What does nothing mean? What is, what is included in nothing? So Jesus say, in that day, you will ask me nothing. So, so first of all, when did that day begin? When he ascended into heaven. Which means that we are still in that day. So verse 16 talks about prayer. Verse chapter 14 talks about works. Exercising authority in the name of Jesus. Two different things. The one talks about prayer. The one talks about works. Because the build up of chapter 14 verse 12 is. Verily, verily, I say to you, the works that I do, you shall also do. He says, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. In that day, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So the first thing you must note, why we struggle in prayer, is that when Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6 to pray, you must understand it was new to the Jewish community because the Jews never knew God or talk about God as Father. The Jews know Him as Jehovah and they know Him of all the names we love to pray when we pray that I have no interest in to pray. <laughs> Why must I say Jehovah Jireh and Nisi if I have Him as my personal Father? Why must I use all that names if He is my Father who is my supplier, who is my protector, who is my provider? Why must I say all that names if the Bible say His Spirit witness on my spirit that I am a Son of God and I cry out Abba, Father. Why pray to a Jewish concept of God if you have God in a way that the Jews has never experienced God when He came to us in such a personal, intimate way? Maybe I must illustrate to you how foolish this is. Can you imagine my son wants some bread? He's hungry. And he must come and ask me for bread. And I'm sitting on this chair here. And he must first come and say to me, Oh, you are a great apostle. You planted churches all over the world. You are a great preacher. There's a demand for your ministry. Daddy, can I have some bread? The devil is a liar. Why must he do that with me? If he can just say, Daddy, give me some bread. Why do you have to tell God who He is as if He doesn't know who He is? You are the great one. You are, no, listen, listen. If you look at, at Elijah and you look at the Baal prophets, they were trying to conjure up their God. But Elijah threw on the altar. He threw all the sacrifice. And he says, the God who answered by fire is God. I have come to say to you, labor no more because your faith will activate whatever you ask. But let me work the text for a moment. 
He is saying, whatever you ask the Father. So Jesus taught us the principle of praying. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, when you pray, you say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first thing Jesus said to us, that all prayer must be directed to the Father. Second thing is saying the Father is in a dimension that we are not. But he's saying where the Father is, his kingdom already is. Where we are, his kingdom is progressively coming as we come into agreement with the Father. Because we say thy kingdom come on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Hence he gave Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he said to Peter, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. But the Amplified Version say, whatever you declare unlawful on earth must be what is already declared unlawful in heaven. So prayer is not praying your mind, but prayer is praying God's will back to himself. And when you pray it back to himself, he releases it in the earth. Jesus saying that day you will ask me nothing. But Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, the Father will give it to you. That talks about prayer. Because when your prayers are answered, your joy is complete. You testify about the goodness of God. So Jesus is first talking about prayer. But Jesus is saying, you don't pray to me and ask me for things. You ask the Father, but you use my name. Because if the Son must supply your need, the Father is weak. Okay, put it this way. You have, you have a family of six children and the father is laying at home and the children must go and work to supply. Is that a good father? Come on, talk to me now. So if God is called father, by mere fact that he's called father means that he is our source. He's our provider. He's our protector because this is what happens here. Let me explain it. Let me explain it this way. Let me explain it this way. My, my cloth is somewhere in my thing, but it's okay. I want to make me some clothes with bishop on it. (laughs) I also want to become deeper. So, (laughs) okay, let me illustrate it this way to you. Um, Let's say we all live in community. Okay, we all live in community. And I'm leading the community and whatever you need, you can come to me anytime and you say, Apostle Barnes, I need bread. Apostle Barnes, my child needs school fees, right? Which means I'm the one who's leading the community. But because I am with you, you can come directly and ask me. Are you with me? But one day I call a meeting and I say to you, I am leaving you guys, but I'm putting Pastor Samuels in charge. But I'm leaving my name behind for you. That if you need anything, You go to Pastor Samuels and you say, and you use my name. So Jesus say, up till now, you haven't asked anything in my name. You see, if if I'm with you, you don't have to ask in my name. You can ask me. But when I go away and you need something, you will go to Pastor Samuels and say, Pastor Samuels, in the name of Apostle Barnes, can I have bread? And when you use my name, he cannot refuse you. 
because I left my name as the authoritative figure. So Jesus ascended into heaven and He left His name that is above every name. And if you ask the Father, but you use His name, the Father will give it to you. Speaking of prayer. But chapter 14 does not speak about prayer. And this is where we make a mistake in the church. Because chapter 14 speaks about the works that I do. You shall also do. What is those works? Healing the sick. Raising the dead. Opening the eyes of the blind. Touching the lame man. Cast out demons. That is not prayer. That is work. But the problem with us is we pray about things we're supposed to take authority over. In fact, read your Bible in the Gospels. It is unbiblical to pray for a sick person or to pray for a demon-possessed person. Jesus only prayed once in public at Lazarus' grave of all people. And He tells us why He prayed. He says, Father, I thank You that, that I know that You always hear me. But because of these unbelievers, I pray so that they can believe that You have sent me. But he didn't have to pray because he already knew it was God's will to raise Lazarus. So we pray for things we're supposed to take authority over. You go pray for someone that is dying of cancer. And you pray for two hours, the devil is a liar. You pray for two hours and you pray and you sweat and you work and you pray. And after you finish your prayer, you make sure you lift the loudest tone of your voice. And you say, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because you are covering your tracks, the devil is a liar. You're covering your tracks. In case the person died three in the morning, you will say to the family, did you hear? I said, not my will, but your will be done. But my Bible say, by his stripes, you are healed. It's your work to take authority. It's God's work to do it. You don't pray for a sick person. You don't pray for a miracle. You take authority over the cancer. You take authority over death. I'll show you what the scripture is telling us about us. Because that's our mistake. Why do all these long prayers if you can just speak the word? In the name of Jesus. So you don't ask the Father to heal. You don't ask the Father to raise. You just say in the name of Jesus. I speak now healing to flow. Let me show you. In the book of Acts. Peter, James and John. Are on their way. To a prayer meeting on the ninth hour. At the gate, the beautiful sets a man who was lame from birth. The man begging for arms. The man expect them to give him something in the light of money. Peter didn't stood up and pray in tongues for two hours. Come on, talk to me now. 
I'm trying to show you the text. Because Peter was there when Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Peter didn't pray over the man and say, now I, I, I God, you're the healer and Jehovah died and all these things. No, Peter says to the man, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What did he do? He was exercising authority in the name of Jesus. You take authority over the cancer. You take authority over the sickness. You take authority over demons. Jesus never prayed over sick people. He just took authority. Now, now, I'm not going to be long. I'm going to tell you two stories. Moses, just think of this. Moses leads the people out of the promised land. What was his greatest desire? To enter. I mean, how, how do you go? I mean, you know how difficult it is to pastor 200 people or 300 people. Moses had about 2 to 3 million people. Now, you, you can imagine the man who was stressed. I mean, you, <laughs> come on, talk to me. You can pastor 3 people and you are stressed because whenever you find people, you find conflict. And the church say, Amen. I'm not talking about this church. They are all angels. <laughs> so what was Moses' greatest desire? That he can just... Put his feet in the promised land and enjoy after his long labor. 40 years in the desert, another 40 years that he was prepared. Another 40 years he ran, another 40 years. I mean, it was 120 years of preparation. At least I must come into my destiny. And on this one day, God says to him, speak to the rock. And he decided to hit the rock. And because he was supposed to speak, when he hit, it did not enter the promised land. How many things are you hitting that you're supposed to speak to? <laughs> How many things are you beating that you're supposed to speak to and take authority over? That's why you keep going around the mountain the same over and over again because you're supposed to speak in the name of Jesus. You're supposed to take authority in the name of Jesus, but you're hitting the thing you're supposed to speak. If God would let Moses not see the promised land because he was hitting instead of speaking, then how much more us? Beloved, you are, you are believing God to raise your sister from the dead. I put my faith with you and, I, and I'll give you context here. I put my faith and I give you context. I give you context. If you look at Lazarus' story, I'm not going to go into the story. But if you look at his story, you will find that Jesus deliberately delayed four days. Deliberately. Right? Even though Jesus knew that he was sick. And Jesus played with words. He first said that the sickness is not unto death. Then he said he's sleeping. Then he said he's dead. <laughs> now, 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 then the text actually says, when they sent word to Jesus, they said to Jesus, him that thou lovest. So Jesus loved him. I mean, how do you love someone and don't show up for the funeral? Come and talk to me now. The text says he, deliber he deliberately delayed. 
and he showed up the fourth day. Now, the reason for the fourth day, we can assume that on the fourth day, decay sets in. So in the Jewish culture, once it's the fourth day, they believe all spirit has left because decay sets in. So he waits until it comes to a place of impossibility. Because if he came the second day or the third day, they could say that he was in a deep sleep. It was just a fluke. But he came after it was humanly impossible for this thing to happen so that he can show that he is the God that say that with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Just follow the text, follow the text, follow the text. The first sister comes out running to him and she say, Lord, uh, she said, first, first, first blame him. Lord, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. So we say, Lord, he, while, he was sick, while he was sick, you could have intercepted. But now, you know, but then she, she makes confession, but her her, her, her mouth say one thing, but her heart believes the other. Listen to what she say. She say, but I know even now that you are here, anything you ask will happen. Then Jesus say, your brother will rise. She say, yes, Lord, in the last day. <laughs> right? So she put it off. Now, this is a good thing believers do. What they do not have faith for in this life, they push it to the next life. We will never understand the will of God. We will never know the things of God. The things of God are too deep for us. Now we see in a mirror, then we will see in hope. And so the sister comes out, same thing. She say the same thing, same pattern. Then all the mourners comes out. Now, this is very important when you trust God for the miraculous, is that the mourners that were there were professional mourners. They were paid to create the atmosphere. No, they were professional mourners. They were paid. Well, it's at a funeral, you, you, you hire. They are for hire to create the atmosphere of mourning. <laughs> Can you imagine how you get a miracle in that atmosphere if you have professional people that came to cry? And they're not crying because they sympathize with you. They're crying because the money is coming. <laughs> And so all of them run, but you can see this whole thing is staged. The whole thing is a setup. Jesus is setting up this whole thing so that everyone can be there. Because those mourners were crying, but in their hearts they were laughing. Oh, they were a friend of Jesus. Jesus healed the others. That's what they actually say. But he couldn't heal Lazarus. And they were talking. But my Bible says that God prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. So Jesus is setting them up so that all of them can be there. So that he can display his glory. What, a, what is better to have your miraculous happening in the midst of your enemies? When your enemies set the table, when your, set, when your enemies set the table, but don't know they are for dinner. <laughs> when your enemies set the table, but don't know they are for dinner. Now I want you to look at the talk. I want you to look at the context because remember, the only thing I'm teaching here is faith. That's, that's the only thing you need. You don't need anything more than that. So now, now you, you will see Jesus keep trying to push them in the right direction. All he needs from them is one thing that activates their faith and it's over. So now we ask them, where have you laid him? Now the sisters say, Lord, but it's already four days. He's thinking. <laughs> and that is thinking, thinking. 
there are things in your life that is stinking and you think God cannot take care of it. Believe me, God is able. I say 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 with God, nothing is impossible. I say with God, nothing is impossible. And this is where the connection comes. They now come to the grave. Jesus said, oh, the stole away. They say he's stinking. You see, he could not release Lazarus until they make the first move. There's a chorus writer that say, make that move right now. It's the chorus writer, it's a worldly song. Well, but it says, make that move right now. You, you. <laughs> on Sundays, on Sundays when I preach at home, I normally quote certain love songs and I say, it's a chorus writer. Then I say, oh, sorry, you caught me out now. <laughs> now, now, the moment they rolled a stone away, Jesus now took authority. He didn't pray. He said, Lazarus, come forth. In fact, if he just said, come forth, everyone would come forth. <laughs> come on, talk to me now. If Jesus would just say, come forth, the whole graveyard would come forth. Because he is the resurrection and the life. Because he has conquered death. Because he has conquered the grave. And the Bible says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. We have resurrection power. Let me give you the context. And what I sense here is this. Let me give you the context. And what I sense here is this. Everybody must die one day. Why is she special? Right? No, no, I'm going to give you, the, I'm going to work the text. Don't worry. <laughs> Why is she special? There are cases when someone dies. And you are convinced it's premature. But then God tells you that. And He gives you the faith and the tenacity to believe. Are you listening to me? Because there is such a thing as dying prematurely. Right? And if there is faith enough for someone to take authority, especially if God says, because in Lazarus, in, why did He raise Lazarus but didn't raise everyone else? Because it wasn't his time. But it was a setup because he says that the glory of God may be revealed or manifest. In John chapter 9 when he healed the blind man, the, the Pharisees asked, Lord, who have sinned, he or his parents? Jesus said, neither he nor his parents have sinned. But his blindness is that the glory of God shall be revealed. So do you have a case here? Because you are a church that are hungry for the glory. So this is what happened. Before tomorrow, then it means that you will have to go to the location where you will have to take authority over death where the person is present because that's how the system works. Four years ago, we had a case in the church. Four, four years ago, a young man in the church was playing rugby. And he didn't know that he hit his head so severely. The next day in school, he collapsed with his whole brain filled with blood. He went into a coma. The doctor said, he, if he makes it, will be a cabbage. But there's nothing they can do. We went, we anointed him. And we knew that it was not his time. And we took authority. Now they took off the machines. They say, it's done. They push him into a cold room. We say, Lord, you said it was not his time. God raised up that, that young man out of that cold room. Restore him completely. He last month was on our television stations, in our newspapers, with his testimony. 
You can go follow him on Facebook. He finished his matric and he received a scholarship to go study in China next year. Because when God does something with God, all things are possible. God raise up this young man. I'll send you the link. You can see the link. He was finished. Then took machines off. Push him in the cold room. He was done. And then God raised him up. No symptoms of any brain damage. Second testimony I give to give you context. To give you context. Remember when you deal with these kinds of cases, Jesus comes to Jairus' daughter and the first thing he does, he put all the unbelievers out. Second testimony. Two years ago, one of the brothers in church very close to me in fact, when I drove here, he and his wife were visiting my wife uh, as we're currently busy packing our stuff up because we're on sabbatical going to Australia for a few months, my wife and I and my daughter. So we may settle there as the Lord leads. So his son was, was cycling and an Uber driver ran over his son. It was on a Sunday morning. They phoned him while he was in church. <clears throat> and so we went to the hospital. We got there. Myself, his wife, my wife. We talked with the doctor. The doctor said there's nothing they can do because his brain is completely damaged. They called us the evening. They said they're removing the machines. And they took off the machines. Now I'm giving you two stories and I'm giving you in context. They took off the machines, he died. But his father, the brother in the church, his father, is someone who knows the supernatural. He is a person that had out-of-body experiences where his spirit leaves his body and he goes, he helps someone somewhere in trouble and he comes back into his body. He had a supernatural experience one day when he was driving with his bicycle and his brakes failed and he was coming to a crossing and a bus was coming. The bus was supposed to run him over. He, he, he drove right through the bus. He says he saw the people in the bus as he went through. He experienced. If you ever listen to me teach on God is spirit. It's a two-part series. I teach on the spirit realm and show you how we must reclaim the spirit realm. So he's someone who knows God has no limits. And so when his son was dead, now when his son was laying in the mortuary, the same way you believe, he believed God that if, if they call them up to go, because once the person die, they call you again, the family to come and, and see the body and recognize the body and then it's done. So he sat outside of his house while they were waiting for the people to say they must come and, and look at the body. But he was convinced if he go into that mortuary, he's raising his son. He sat outside. He saw as he looked up to the clouds, he saw a, he saw a volcano and he saw, he saw the, 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 the lava hits down to the bottom and then burst up. And he was convinced that God will raise his son. I sat one day with him for three hours. He had so many questions. But his faith was, if I go to the mortuary before they cut him, my son will rise. His wife and family felt that he lost it. And they went behind his back without him to the mortuary. And he missed the opportunity to raise his son. So he has to live for the rest of his life wondering what would have happened 
if I went to raise my son. Now, this is the reality. Everyone's faith is not at the same level. If God shows you something, then your faith is higher than those who have not seen what you've seen. So you may look nuts, you may look cuckoos, you may look like you lose it, but you have to stand on what God has revealed to you. You have to stand on your faith. You have to stand believing. You have to stand believing because if you don't follow through, you will never know what has happened. So beloved, we have nothing to lose because there's no pressure on us. Pressure is on Christ. But if God gives you a word, then it means that God is saying the time has not yet come. But she has passed seasonally so that the glory of Christ may be revealed in this so that God will take glory in this because this is not about anything else it's about exercising authority in the name of Jesus it's about exercising what the Bible say that in my name you shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover you will lay hands on those who are demon possessed they will be free and you shall raise the dead it's what God say so if you have the faith then follow through with your faith don't let anyone discourage you because all God needs is faith. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.